Hello, friends. This is Josie from Speaking in Church, the podcast you are currently listening to. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about my favorite current thing right now, which is Anchor. Anchor is a free podcasting platform. Um, It's the easiest way to make a podcast. This dummy, yours truly, set it up real quick. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, which, hello, talk about easy. You don't have to be some professional computer person, which is dope. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and literally wherever else you want to put it. Uh, You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which, you know, some of us are just not going to get a million people listening, which is fine. Um, It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you want to make your own podcast about literally anything like the two of us, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey friends, it's Josie here on the Speaking in Church podcast. I am joined by Peter today from Bethany Kids. Uh, Spencer had a little family emergency, so she uh, will not be joining us, but we're going to really get into it today with Peter. <laughs> it is good to be here. And I'm glad uh, we've got that second co-host there. If uh, if you can see this video, I don't know if anyone can see this, but we got a dog coming with us today, so we're pretty pumped. Yep, my little rescue dog. She's... um. Well, she's gone. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's afraid of the, the stardom. It's too much. Yeah, it's too much for her. She gets too bored. But anyways, Peter, tell us all about you. Tell us about, yeah, tell us about you. Sure. So I'm Peter, as this has come up before now. Um, <laughs> and I've just spent the last, I guess, eight or so years living in the Middle East. So living in an Islamic country, which certainly helps kind of figure out your own faith when you're living in the context of someone else's. Um, I'm Canadian. So I grew up for part of my life in Canada, part of my life in Europe. So I definitely have no idea where I'm from anymore. Uh, pretty, really? pretty sure I have no idea what country I belong to uh, and what culture I truly define as. Um, and now I'm working for an international organization that uh, both trains and then supports pediatric surgeons. So uh, we help make sure kids get surgery who need it, kids who need like therapy get that, and then wheelchairs, that sort of thing. Whatever helps kids get moving, that's what yeah. we're into right now. Yeah, it's pretty good. I love it. Well, Peter, um, we have talked before on another podcast of mine, Making Spaces with Sarah Heath. True. And I will be honest, when you first said that you wanted to be on the podcast, I was like, I don't want a missions organization on the <laughs> podcast. I'm They're very bitter. <laughs> I'm so bitter. Um, and I say that as somebody who in college, I went to a small Christian university, thought I would be a lifelong missionary. I thought that that mm. was my calling just because I loved the world and mm. going around the world and meeting new people. Right. Um, I probably would have learned very quickly that, you know, I don't need to convert people, but it just was not really my jam. So I was really nervous. And then we got to talking and I was like, Oh, this is great. I love this. They really thought about this. <laughs> they thought two seconds longer than everybody else about how to do this. So 
tell us a little bit about how Bethany Kids does that, and if they even consider themselves like a missions organization. I guess. Yeah, I guess it like it depends. There's probably some folks who would use that word missions organization. I know that for some people, the word charity has got like some trigger with it. Like, oh, mm-hmm. it's yeah. So any word we use is probably going to be problematic for someone out there, right. um, and, and understandably because a lot of anytime groups of people get together to try to help someone else, unfortunately it's, it's often becomes toxic. People get like messianic complexes, whatever else. So regardless of what we call ourselves, an organization, if that, if that's bland enough, perfect. Um, I think we, I guess we're, we're trying to be aware of the sort of toxicity of how some of these organizations function. Uh, that has to do with racism, colonization, all of it. Like just having some awareness suddenly kind of flicks the lights on and you can see the mud on the floor. Sometimes you can be like, well, we got to do better. So I would say our approach, what we try to do is ensure that number one, we're focused initially uh, on training local people. So we're not dependent on like Westerners flying around the world and doing things, but rather investing in local people, investing in their professional capacity so that the people saving the world, uh, in terms of medically speaking, are not uh, Americans or Canadians. They live in their home country and they're serving their home country. They've just now been given the privilege, the access to education, to higher learning, particularly around pediatric surgery. And then even beyond that, we try to make sure that like when we're supporting their programs, it's their initiative, right? So it's not like me coming, Hey, now that I trained you, you're mine. And so here's how I think you should do it. Uh, you, you have to do physiotherapy. You have to do pediatric, uh, occupational therapy, whatever. No, it, it, hopefully it's, Hey, you're there, you know, you're on the ground. It's your home country. You speak the home, you, the language that is native to that space in the world. What do you need from us? How can we partner together? And are there resources that I have that you don't have that maybe we could swap and then we'd help each other out. And even how we tell stories, we're trying to get better. Cause I think historically you'll know that typically, particularly a, a, a charity or an organization that has mostly taken care of African kids who need surgery. It's very easy to make all of our advertisement just be like, kids who need surgery, kids with like large tumors on the face, cleft lip palate, all sorts of things. Um, but then it makes it look like the donor is the one saving their life. And they are, they're part of it, mm-hmm. but the person saving their life is their neighbor. It's a surgeon from maybe their hometown or a town a little ways away. Like that's the person transforming lives. So even in our communications, we're trying to more so focus on those people. If you want to use the word you used earlier, like missionaries, like people who are, we all have like good people have a mission in their life, whatever it is like to make this world more beautiful, more loving, whatever. So those people are the ones making it happen. Right. Um, and they're, they're Africans serving in Africa and they're, they're the folks we want to highlight kind of in our storytelling as well. Yeah. I actually have, um, plenty of opinions about this because I am, <laughs> I'm first generation Mexican and mm-hmm. my dad still talks about how they would have to wait for the Americans to come to their village for medical care. That's mm-hmm. when they got the vaccines. That's when blah, blah, blah. And I don't remember when, I don't really know when Mexican culture became more of like a socialized medicine because they do have that now. Praise right. the Lord. Um, but that, idea of like somebody swooping in and being Mm -hmm. like i'm the white doctor now and i'm here to save you that can be super traumatizing as we've all seen um Mm -hmm. on the 
mission field or right. whatever. Um, as opposed to like, even in America, they say, and probably Canada too, um, the problem is not always the people. The problem is sometimes the funding. Like, mm poverty is like directly results in violence and criminal activity blah blah blah. but the more money you funnel into something the more it evolves and changes and progresses right which i think is pretty much what bethany kids does is that they funnel the money and then progress absolutely we (laughs) want to take your listeners money and we want to give it away to some surgeons working in africa in their home countries yes because otherwise they're not getting a fair living wage right Mm -hmm. and one of the things we see is that often people will leave their country that's a so-called developing country because they can't afford to work and i'm like okay well rather than you know huge conversations around immigration or whatever else if we actually allow the folks who are doing the work on the ground to get paid fair wages then there's less of that brain drain, that desire to leave their own country. Um, and, and I feel like that's just a better model. And I come back to what you're saying with, um, in some ways, like the optics of it, right? Like if I roll in on the white guy, pull up in the white SUVs and like everyone rolls out, all the fancy medicine comes out. Uh, even if those people in the trucks are super well-meaning, it presents a really big problem because it's very others. Like someone out there has access, someone out there has medicine and it doesn't feel like there's any local ownership. Yeah. Whereas if you can train a local health provider, um, you don't have to wait for the SUVs, right? Mm-hmm. And in a time like COVID, this is particularly relevant, right? Oh, yeah. If you're if you're a model, take Mexico as an example. Historically, if your model was that at some point some white folks are going to cross the border or going to come from a larger city and a bunch of trucks and they're going to come and give us stuff, so we just mm-hmm. have to wait patiently. And then, uh, then um, you know, an international pandemic breaks out. And so those guys aren't coming anymore, right? Yeah. The borders are shut down, flights are canceled. So what do you do if you've created that kind of dependency on someone else? That's not helpful. So in a pandemic, we didn't have to like worry about flights being canceled. It was an inconvenience for those of us who would like to connect with staff around the world. Absolutely, it's an inconvenience, but our surgeons were still in their home countries practicing, right? We didn't have to worry about those people being uh, abandoning their hospitals because they were like running to their safe home country. Yeah, yeah, I know even in the pandemic during in Mexico, I recently talked to my cousin who is a surgeon out there. He said that they don't have, because they're so dependent on America to funnel in certain pharmaceuticals, they don't have the infrastructure to even try to make their own vaccines Yeah, research-wise, which is crazy. Right. The government yeah. is not funding that in general. And that's why their vaccine rollout is so much slower than slower. ours. Yeah. And, and to be fair, Canada is in the exact same place as Mexico <laughs> right now. Yeah. So, so uh, I would say, unfortunately, we haven't invested historic. Well, we, I mean, we invented insulin. So historically we were there, mm-hmm. we gave away the patent. We're like, everyone should have this for free so that no one pays for research. You, we know how that yeah. story ended. But um, recently we've sort of gotten rid of vaccine production centers in Canada. We're like, it's fine. Globalization will depend on someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that meant is of course, in the time of pandemic, if you look at the people and the, the kind of sort of vaccine sharing, yeah. it's not been great. The people People who are producing the vaccines by and large are using it just for themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so they can brag and say, look, we've got so many vaccine doses within our country. That's great. 
but it's not happening globally, which means we're going to have more and more variations on the on the virus. You're going to potentially mutate to the point that your vaccine won't help. So the faster we get it out, right, the better. I mean, that's just the, the science of it all. And unfortunately, if we make sure all the training, coming back to the kind of work we do, although it's not in vaccine development, if we always keep the, the surgeons, the high, high you know, uh, research capacity, all those people in North America, and we keep it to ourselves, we're never going to get anywhere globally in terms of global health. I think yeah. a better model is to ensure we're training high-quality professionals, not just um, a frontline worker who can like usher someone in to see the white surgeon, but I mean the surgeon themselves. Yeah. Um, I know we, I was at a conference last week um, here in Canada digitally because you know, pandemic. Um, and one of the guest speakers was one of our surgeons from Kenya. And he's actually the guy who oversees the whole training pro program side of, of our organization. And he was, he's from Mombasa and he was talking about as a kid, like he, there were so many white tourists who would come. And of course, every white tourist he met had a ton of money, right? Mm -hmm. And all the people he knew were serving those people with money. And he said, like, eventually it kind of gets in your skin and you start to believe things. No one necessarily said it, but you start to believe things that are really unhealthy and uh, steeped in all sorts of racist ideology. And he talked uh, as well about how, there's like a beautiful um, part of the country, Maasai Mara in, in Southern Kenya, where everyone goes on safari. And he said, mm -hmm. what, what happens because all the white folk come there over the years, what takes place is that over time, more and more people beg there um, because yes. they know someone's going to come. So there's this whole dependent cycle mm -hmm. on someone coming, giving freebies. And that's not good for anyone long-term because mm -hmm. it creates systems of expectation, systems of dependency. So our hope is that if we can actually train local people who are surgeons, who are high-capacity pediatric surgeons, um, they're the ones saving lives across their countries they're the ones who are really making a difference and the only partnership that we have is to raise awareness for the cause to tell their stories and to where possible transfer money and raise financial support for these folks so that they can do that long term and one of the things that you might well you're I, I presume you're aware of like any country even when we say it's a developing country mm -hmm. most countries have wealthy people right? Yeah. Like the amount of wealthy people might change the amount of middle class. Like there are all sorts of issues here, but there, there are people with money. And mm -hmm. so one of the things we realized early on is when we trained a pediatric surgeon and they go to their home country and maybe they're like the only pediatric surgeon in the entire country, like Sierra Leone, where ours is the only trained pediatric surgeon in the country. That's crazy. Um, they, they could spend their whole life doing private practice. That yeah. is the handful of rich patients will get a ton of attention, just a ton of attention. So one of the reasons why we continue to pay them like an additional like stipend on top of the hospital salary is to free them up from being worried about which patients can pay and which patients cannot pay. Mm -hmm. So that we'll pay the surgeon so they can free their time and be like, who needs help? Triage. Like, let's just help the people yeah. the most need. And then we'll pay for the student or uh, the children. It's like, you need, you can't afford care. We'll pay for it. You can't afford care. Great. Pay, pay what you can, but whoever can't afford the care, we cover the costs. And as you can imagine paying for surgeries, every country is a little bit different, but it starts to add up and it can be quite expensive. Yeah. That's a really well thought out model. Um, which kind of is a great juxtaposition for the not so well thought out model <laughs> of white American evangelicalism, which is the one I know. 
and <laughs> i almost feel like they love to be depended on they love mm. to be their little saviors they love to right. go take their picture with the little african orphan and do little to nothing but create attachment issues for that mm. child um yeah. or for me being a Mexican and growing up hearing people, Oh, I went down to Mexico to go build a house. And I was like, Mm, Oh, you, a 12 year old went down to go build a house. Why don't you just go pay the guy who knows how to build a house in Mexico to build their own fucking house. Yeah. And so it's crazy because now people try to justify in all these ways. And I'm just like, well, you know, you could have just created jobs in the community Mm. as opposed to wasting people's time. Yeah. Um, how does I think that, oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask you, how does that like somebody who knows what they're doing, right? Like you guys know what you're doing. How right. does that make you feel like mm. to be presented and be kind of associated with? It is definitely frustrating because I know, I, I think that we're doing our best. And to be clear, I didn't invent this model. I can't take credit for this model. Right. I joined late in the game, but I really think what we're doing, what they're doing is incredible. Um, but, but it's certainly frustrating because there are a lot of big NGOs and, and it's hard to sort of get our word out there because there's a one, there's a lot of negative press. So mm-hmm. uh, some people who might be wanting to support something, they're like, like you described yourself early on, you're like, no way am I going anywhere <laughs> with a 10 foot pole near yep. this. And so there's like a big turnoff there, which can be hard when we're like, no, we're trying to do the right thing. Uh, then also though, like there's really big organizations with much bigger marketing departments than my little computer right here. Mm-hmm. So there it is tough to kind of get the word out there because what I find is that um, people who are thinking these things through are also, unfortunately, sometimes people say, I've thought it through and I'm just probably going to do nothing. Right. So the very generous people and, and like kudos to them, there's still some very generous, generous people who are more like conservative camps within evangelicalism. Uh, more progressive folks are like having these conversations that are having these thoughts, but they're not all like saying, okay, so I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. So you kind of stuck between, right? Cause you want to advocate for a better system, but you know that the people asking for a better system aren't necessarily going to help make it happen all the time. And right. <laughs> that's a challenge. Um, what I would say is I think like, most people want to be feeling special, right? Like to, in mm-hmm. defense of the sort of the 12 year old missionary kids, most people want to feel special and they want to feel like they're making a difference. And I think that's quite universal well beyond issues of racism and colonization. Everyone wants to feel special. The problem is of course, we've created a system where that's how it's mission is done, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the, the model. So we teach these 12 year old kids like, Hey, you want to help the world and you, you being a good person are like, of course, I want to help the world. I love everybody. I want to make the whole world better. And they're like, okay, well, here's how to do it. Right. You've got to get on a plane and and go build someone else's school. And that makes total sense in your mind because you're 12 and you're like, okay, this is the way like adults told me this is the way we've got to do it. And so you, you listen to what adults tell you. And then over time, you're like, hold up, hold up how expensive was that flight? And yes. Like, right. Could, was there a different way we could have done that? Like, mm-hmm. like, I, and again, I'm someone who loves to travel and explore the world. So don't get me wrong. I think it's wonderful to, to go around the world and meet other people, but maybe we need a different model and realize that actually you getting on a plane to go over there, you're learning from those people. So since you're the one learning, maybe you should pay them. Right. Yeah. Cause you, you often have someone who will come back and they'll say, 
I had such a, like a life changing experience there. Like, wow, I learned so much. And you're like, great. So usually when you learn so much, like you pay for it. Right. Yeah. And those people who did the teaching, the, the bricklayer who showed you how to build his own house or her house, uh, the person who repainted the same school last week with a different group, like that person who taught you things and helped you reshape your thinking, maybe we should be like supporting them long-term Yeah, because if, if the mission trip pops into a country learns something about the country and says, listen, we want to partner with you folks. Cause I love what's happening. You guys clearly know how to build houses. So we're not going to come back next year, but what we're going to do is send the money instead. And mm -hmm. we're going to stay partner. We're going to like exchange emails. If that's possible, we're going to stay connected. Um, that's beautiful. And that could be done in a beautiful way, but I feel like the system that we've all been exposed to and we're kind of taught was like the system it's it started in colonization and we we forgot to change it i guess this is what happens right like some right. people maybe intentionally i get it there are some people who actively perpetuate negative racist systems yes and there are people who are like i'm 12 and like mm -hmm. i want to make the world better and and this is the only way i know how so i'm just gonna i'm gonna do it yeah. and then sometimes people are 45 before they realize oh maybe like maybe we've got to do differently right yeah i've been kind of thinking about a lot of this recently because of just the, the unfortunate turn of events that have happened in the evangelical church and how right. all of a sudden they don't like western medicine and they don't mm. like vaccines <laughs> and they right. don't like an odd one. or like they don't like the bill and melinda gates foundation because they're mm. um providing medical care all over the world and paying for yeah. it but they eat children, I guess. I don't know what the microchips in the yes. back, which is amazing. If if anyone had that technology, like the Borg are right. ready to go. Yeah. Um, or they're like, oh, they're they're altering your DNA, and I was like, right. do what? Or <laughs> right. why me? I'm just a little friendly yeah. little puppet here. Like, why don't they go alter right. somebody else's DNA? <laughs> Um, it is interesting the lack of trust we have in them right when that's i think getting to your point that's exactly what we have done for centuries yes like yeah i don't understand it's yeah I it, a it's a mystery <laughs> I have a lot of because like for for centuries mm -hmm. and like it, to to look at the best side of the church to, to be fully like grace filled here for a moment for centuries the church has tried to provide medical care globally right yes steeped in racism colonization all yep. sorts of issues mm -hmm. but like to, to look at the positive side we have <laughs> most hospitals on the planet were started by a religious group and that includes yep. in north america that's incredible, mm -hmm. right? Flash fast forward to 2021, and we're like down with medicine. Medicine is yep. the worst. Down with the vaccine. It's like how do, how do we get here? How do we get yeah. to this place? Right? Yeah, like we're it's still, really funny. Yeah, it's but like funny in like a crying way. Yeah, but not like yeah. a happy crying way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, and like I'm a big fan of essential oils. I don't think they can cure cancer, but I think they smell good. Right. I, that's worth something right i think it's so fascinating i'm like 
I, as somebody who grew up from a culture who was heavily colonized, I'm mm. half and half here, half Spanish, half native. I'm the right. picture perfect Mexican <laughs> colonized kid here. Right. Like my people were doing plant medicine for a long time mm. and you decided yeah. that it was devil worship. And now all of mm. a sudden the tables have turned and you want yeah. plant medicine after you. <laughs> right. <laughs> like what the heck is that? Yeah. Where's the, yeah, absolutely. It's wild. You're like, no, I'm going to the herbals now. You're like, funny. The folks yeah. who were here on this land here in Canada were doing that. Yeah. We call it witchcraft and we chase them away. Or so it's odd that, yeah. yeah, we're now you're into that. Yeah. It's, I don't think they've odd. quite caught on to that irony, no. right? That. <laughs> I mean, imagine if, if like they were actually explorers, mm -hmm. uh, like that word is, a, is an odd one because if I show up, like I've explored a lot of countries. I haven't carried a weapon to do so, and I've never forced my way into someone's house, nor did I keep everything that was there. So right. the word explorer is problematic, but imagine they were explorers and they got to a new country and folks were healing with whatever, like uh, mm. roots and herbs. Now, maybe some of those things didn't work, but like, imagine if they just sat and were like, whoa, tell me how, like, how does this work? Tell me. Cause like, yep. is there a cure for cancer up in here? Cause I'd love to find that. Like, yep. what do you have here? I mean, still they, they talk about a lot of the, obviously some of the medicines we have today are like very much chemically derived entirely, yeah. but a lot of them are based on things that we're finding still in something like the Brazilian rainforest. Mm-hmm. Like, like okay, aspirin, we're... just shoot on the tree. <laughs> right? I mean, there, there are things that we're discovering, sometimes accidentally, or sometimes people have, it's not that we discovered it anytime recently. Folks have been using this medicine for centuries, yep. um, and, and we discounted it. Um, yeah. I, your, your point of the essential oils, I, I, I saw some kind of meme, which of course is where we get good facts from of course. <laughs> something like you've, we've got to get to a place where we recognize that essential oils can be good for like calming you, but like certain kind of medicine is good for, I don't know, like curing cancer. Like yeah, yeah. you've got to get to the place in society where we understand that there are certain things mm -hmm. that can help with like daily remedies and herbal. Yeah, absolutely. You can sometimes reduce your cough symptoms. Yeah. I love, uh, there's a tea company in Canada called uh, David's Tea, mm -hmm. and there's a tea called Cold 911. And I don't know what's in there. I, I don't know, but it, yeah. it tastes really great. And anytime I have a cold or like, you know, suspicious symptoms, I'm like, boom, let's take that. It's going to be great. I don't know. It, I'm, I, would I try to cure a, a, a contagious disease with that? And would I try? No. But would I relieve a couple symptoms? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Somehow we haven't figured out that both of those things can be helpful. That yeah. like vaccines that are professionally developed by people who know way more than I know, that's good, right? Yep. Like I, if I wanted to have an opinion about vaccines beyond like basic conversation, yep. what I probably could have done is gone to medical school. Yeah, exactly. Right? Or studied chemistry. <laughs> right. And then even still, cause like a, a general physician who's mm -hmm. gone to med school, who's a doctor is like, yo, I'm not an expert on vaccines. That's another couple of years. Yep. Right. Yep. Somehow. Yeah. yeah. I have a couple of, um, 
anti-vax people in my life god bless them love them still you know hoping they'll right. go to the light side one day <laughs> right but they post certain things right and i have the privilege of being married to an organic chemist who mm. is currently he and his professor well, his professor is trying to find a cure for like chagas disease right and so he's doing work on that and so he knows like some of these like vaccine and like general mm. disease chemistry things whatever they are and so i just quickly i'm like uh this is what they said and he's like oh yeah that doesn't mean what they think it means and i was like oh so none of the anti-vax community has even thought to ask a chemist or who knows and they'll explain it to you you just are so determined to not believe Mm. modern medicine and just say that just say you don't like just yeah i don't know i don't understand it's a wild mistrust in, yep. in people who have far more knowledge about a subject matter than I do. Yeah. Because for example, when I get in my car, I trust the mechanics and the engineers that built that vehicle Yeah. because I go up to like a hundred, you know, I guess I'm in kilometers. So you guys measure in like sports fields or something, but uh, <laughs> you know, miles like uh, acres, football fields, whatever. Um, if I'm, if I'm driving, like I, I place a lot of trust in the engineer because mm-hmm. I put my car around a bunch of other cars all going like 70 miles an hour yep. and anything could go wrong. Yep. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how it works, but yeah. I have to trust that, that those machines were, were designed well. They had sufficient kind of safety checks. And the same is with medical care. Like if I have, if I need brain surgery, <laughs> I'm not going to be like, well, I've got this like safety pin and a bobby pin. Let's see. What, let's get in there. See what Spoke happens. On in. Right. No, you yes. try like, it, we live in a society where where life is very complex, mm-hmm. and in order for that to function, there's a value in trusting professionals who are in their field, which is why, like a professional, if they're like, "Hey, I've got a vaccine," a bunch of other scientists who disagree with them have to like look at the research and make sure it works, right? Yeah, that that's how it becomes a bit more trustworthy. It's not one scientist said a thing. They're like mm-hmm. peer reviewed, checking each other's work. Like that's quality research. But yeah. I can blog, I guess. So I'll just, you know, yeah, that's... whatever I wrote on a blog. <laughs> also the funniest thing about people who don't trust vaccine or medicine anymore, like in that community or whatever, they're always white for the most part. They're predominantly mm-hmm. white. And I'm like, you guys created this. Like you, colonized and you gave us medicine and all of a sudden it's worth nothing like i I heard something about where this came from because it's a relatively recent phenomenon it was that Uh, stupid doctor in like britain who said the vaccines mm. cause autism right that whole autism connection when that blew up and there's a celebrity there's like a hollywood mccarthy that's the one and like you know because of course we trust actors and actresses more than we trust scientists and so they're like hey this is a thing uh so we're gonna get away from vaccines and you're like the the privilege that we have to say do you know what i'm good for polio like measles bring it on yeah like there are still people around the world who die from things that we're vaccinated against yep yeah it's like the privilege of having had the science in your life like your country and the countries around you're all vaccinated so you probably never have to worry about polio yeah but i mean if we just all stopped getting vaccinated it would come back so maybe we should just keep the herd immunity up yeah 
it, it's I, we've got these blinders on to say because I don't hear about polio because yes. I don't see polio it must not be an issue yeah um but globally like some of these things which is why folks like the gates are trying to not just eradicate it in in certain places but the goal is in their mind is to eradicate it globally in every yes. single country so these things can't mutate Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and that is pretty good work. That is work that the that well-meaning Christians have been doing for centuries. Mm-hmm. And now we're like, nah, <laughs> that's that's yeah. weird, like microchipping or something. Right. We've got to do better than that. Yeah. Because I think if someone says uh, I'm a Christian, then then that should mean a couple of things. That means that they should love their neighbor as much as they love themselves. Mm-hmm. It should mean that their own family does not take priority when it comes to global equity of health. Right. I mean, that's like basic Jesus one-on-one stuff, right. Where it's like, okay, you say you follow Jesus. That means your kid is, is in the same lineup as a kid in Kenya or Sierra Leone for access to medical care. Mm -hmm. So no cut in the line anymore because all of these folks are your family. Yep. That should radically change the way we see medicine. That should radically change the way we, we think about equity Mm -hmm. because like that's right in there in the gospel that we are all equal, that we're all supposed to be caring for each other. Yep. And, and I feel like, as Christians, we've got to do better than, yeah. than this like nonsensical arguing about, Oh, this and that, like, no, let's, let's rally together and actually like to, to use your language earlier about saving the world, mm-hmm. the, the world as a, as a community, there's a lot of good we can still do. Yeah. And given that our reputation's a little bit shaky these days as the church, I feel like we should really lean into the things that are actually making the world better. Yeah. And like, even just from a PR perspective, it's like, yo, folks, things don't look good for us. And uh, we're a shrinking group. Maybe we could do better. And, yeah, and help other people mm-hmm. because when you hear about people leaving the church, it's often, it has nothing to do with faith. Mm-mm. You know, you look at the statistics, uh, it's not like, Oh, well, um, I have a question about this theological point and this sort of subsection of this treaties. It's like the people in that church hurt me profoundly. Mm-hmm. And I think like, again, we've got to be better than this. Yep. If I hope that as a, as a Christian charity, Bethany kids, I hope that what we can do is model like an actual love of others that, that puts others before ourselves that actually works together as a community of people from all parts of the world to make this place better. Yeah. Not because I have all the answers. Cause to be honest, you don't want me doing the surgery. <laughs> and yes, I work for like a pediatric surgical organization, but you know, who knows more about it than I know is my colleagues in Kenya and Sierra Leone and Cameroon. Those folks know way more about it than I do. Yeah. But together, like we make a little team and hopefully together we can make like this global community of Christians who are trying to make things better. Right. Yeah. You hear that Christians globalism is not the enemy. <laughs> globalization. What do they call it? The globalization is like, I'm not into globalization. Oh, right. There's this new thing because of course it's anti-patriotism, which oh, like, yeah. newsflash <laughs> Jesus. Like, I mean, one of the things that I, that I remember thinking about um, and 
Yeah, just, I mean, Jesus, like for me, this is pretty central to my faith, but to follow the kingdom of Jesus means we really can't pledge allegiance to any other kingdom, right? Because if you and I do that, so you represent maybe US or I represent Canada or a step back a generation and I represent somewhere between Netherlands, Belgium, England, you might represent Mexico, step back a few generations, then you've got continental Spain. So that means we're all, you and I have to be enemies, Like we're blood enemies because our people have maybe warred against each other over time. Mm -hmm. And if we just kind of pledge allegiance to our national identity, then it allows space for us to hate each other. And it allows space for your government. You imagine this, if, if my allegiance is to my government, then one day your government can say, listen, this Lublin character on the other side of the border, he's not, he's not one of us. And Mm -hmm. so we've decided as a government that we should kill him. Uh, and, and you're like, well, I mean, I, uh, pledge yes. to, well, I guess that's right. I think it, it's odd that we don't trust the government to cure cancer, but we do trust to decide who gets to be bombed and who doesn't. Right. Yeah. So again, I think as a Christian, one of the things we can do, which would be a beautiful statement to the world, is actually have some unity in, in the, the community of Jesus followers globally. That includes people from all countries to say, actually, my Canadianness is secondary. Mm-hmm. It's not really like the big flag for me. Yeah. Um, your Americanness that doesn't have to be the flag. We can actually be citizens of this world, or more specifically, as Christians, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, mm-hmm. which is not America, which is not Canada. It's something beyond all of those things. Yeah, and I it's interesting because in Mexico that is not like the mentality that my family really has. The ones who have converted to Christianity or Protestant Christianity, they. Have have never been very patriotic they've never been mm. very like i remember when i was a kid at one point oh god forbid i said dad i want to be a policewoman mm. <laughs> which i'm very anti-police now so that's really <laughs> fucking funny but my dad was like you can't be a police person because you're a christian and christians mm. don't kill people which mm. is like you know kind of a simplistic view of it and he has a different and view yet now. somehow yeah. like yeah like yeah. or like we've never been a military family because yeah. why are we gonna go my dad says like or i say like my dad didn't come to this country for me to die for it he came so i can mm. have a better life mm. uh, and the military complex is a whole different that's a different but th- there's something to be said for the historic, I guess you could call it the Anabaptist movement within the yeah. church that was saying, listen, we, we are proud to live in this land right here. We're going to do everything we can to, to till the soil, to beautify mm-hmm. the land, to, to serve, to, to be good neighbors, but we're not going to fight to, for you to keep it, for me to keep it. We're not going to uh, turn our pitchforks into weapons. We're actually mm-hmm. just going to care for the land. So the Mennonites and the Amish and mm-hmm. other Anabaptist movements, I think, um, there's something beautiful that maybe we need to pay attention to there. Yeah. Uh, because there are, there are questions of should, and this is something that people have asked historically, like should Christians be in the military? Should Christians be in the police force? Should Christians be in positions where violent power is used for any reason? Mm-hmm. That's a fair thing. And, and I think really in some ways good for your parents to be like, is that, yeah. I mean, think about it. Like, cause you're saying, I want to be a cop because I want to make my community safer. I want to make my community better. I want to help people to serve, to protect. And your parents are like, and also kill people. Is that what you mean? Yeah. 
Yeah. Like that's, that's helpful for them to raise that question when you're 12. Yeah. Um, because I think there's a lot of good, well-meaning people in, in every industry. My dad was in the military. I definitely know plenty of friends who are in the police forces around in various places. And, and the vast majority of folks in those industries, I hope, got into it because of a deep belief that they want to make things better. They want to make the world better. They want to make the world safer. Um, I think as Christians, it is worth kind of having like a double lens to say, hold up, hold up. Before I get into that, is there a better way that I can make the world better? Is there a better way that I can save lives? Is there a better way that I can make my community safer? Uh, that is, it's worth asking that. Because if I think of the amount that we spend on, um, you know, any kind of law enforcement, whether it be military, police, et cetera, imagine that kind of money invested in, I don't know, training pediatric surgeons, um, uh, building hospitals, supporting the development of um, vaccines against other potential diseases that are coming down the pipelines down whenever those are going to show up, Um, you know, building sustainable farming systems so that people have more drought resistant crops. Like there's so many ways, if you look at trying to reduce it, Think about war. I mean, I would hope that everyone thinks war is awful, right? Yeah. I just hope that. And and a lot of people would say, well, I want to do my part to stop that war from happening, right? If you look at why most wars start, it's a lack of resources. It's poverty. It's uh, all sorts of other issues on the ground. So if we as Christians can go to that place, don't wait for the war to start. Get to a place and serve the local people in whatever way we can with humility and with respect and with partnership. We can actually mitigate the chances of war ever breaking out. I'm not saying it'll always happen, but if you look historically, most wars, it's because the country was suffering. People are hungry and when people are hungry we do really stupid things right Mm -hmm. like historically there's a precedent for that and then some wild person will come along and be like you know whose fault this hunger is it's those people's fault and you see that kind of radicalization yep if we can actually be global citizens serve our fellow human beings with dignity and with respect um, if schools need to be built how can we help Maybe, maybe we require an architect from the West. Could be, mm-hmm. but maybe we don't. So let's look at the assets on the ground and see how we can help each other out, right? And I think more and more NGOs are talking about that kind of asset-based community development. Like what's on the ground? What do you guys have going on? Is there something you need from the outside? But like, let's focus on what's, what's on the ground. And, and I think for us, our hope is that we'll be that kind of organization that is helping local people, that uh, training physicians, uh, that long term will continue to have an impact, even if even if Bethany Kids ever stopped existing as an organization. We've still trained all those people, and they may continue to to, to save lives, to to lead hospitals, to do whatever it is in their home country, which is incredible in its own way. Yeah. Well, folks, you heard it here first. There's a model that you could use that is beneficial to communities and not white savory. Peter, tell us, you are running currently for Bethany Kids. Tell us about that and more about where people can find you and Bethany Kids. 
Absolutely. So we're doing a little move-a-thon right now. And so what I'm doing personally, obviously I work for them, but I'm also volunteering for this. My hope is in June to run about 120 kilometers in the week. I have no idea what that is in miles, kind of like 70 miles, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Too many. <laughs> I don't even know, but like a couple of them. And so what I've said to my friends and family is, listen, I will like match the first $2,000 worth of donations that my friends and family give to this little move-a-thon. And I'm encouraging other people around to either participate in the move-a-thon as like, you know, fellow runners, walkers, dancers, movers, whatever, or to donate to a family member. So that's the move-a-thon thing. We're pretty excited about it because it's a good way we can stay active in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, you yeah. can also, uh, obviously we try to share kind of our stories online. So you can check us out with Instagram, bethanykids.ig. Usually once a week, we share the story of one of our staff members who's changing the world. We try to share a little bit about the work that we're doing. Um, you can check our website, bethanykids.org. And hopefully we'll make some cool videos later this year to kind of help tell some really good stories of people who have not only had their lives transformed by the surgical work, but are now kind of like doing something amazing in their communities. People who were patients and are now people transforming their neighborhoods. So we want to share more of those stories. So please connect with us. Uh, as we said from the outset, like we, we need people to champion this cause because it's really the marketing budget is me in this basement. So we, we could use your help. Yes, friends, the tax deadline in America is coming up. So right. get your charitable giving tax receipts. Yep. And if you're like a cool like person who just made billions off Bitcoin in the last couple of weeks, we accept that as well. So we'll take your Bitcoin, we'll That's take right. your cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. If you've got something to share, we're happy to partake in it. You heard it, folks. Thanks for joining us. You can find the podcast at Speaking in Church Podcast on Instagram. You can find me at Josie Takes the World, and you can find Spencer at Spence Rose. Thanks for coming, Peter. We loved having you. Talk Thanks to you later. Bye. You.